Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Shout at the Oval podcast. It is great to be back behind the mic for another podcast after another home game. Of course, at the time of recording, I have absolutely no idea what way the result in that big game against Lorne went. Did we manage to secure the three points and the go top of the table with the game in hand? Or did we manage to drop points, either draw or lose, which would give us a bit of ground to catch up, but we do have that game in hand. And it's very early in the season, so either way, we'll not get carried away. Uh, but part of me is hoping that no matter what the result, we manage to not concede, because uh, I'm quite enjoying that run. Uh, in the in terms of when we've been away, so we've had two back-to-back away games. Last week against Nuri was a tight encounter. An inspired goalkeeper in the Nuri goal. He probably could have done better for Conor McMenamin's uh, opener, but he certainly made up for it, making save after save, great save from Shane McCartan. Save the penalty was probably a bit of a soft penalty from Jay. If we score that penalty, it's probably more comfortable, and we'll maybe even go on to get another goal. Um, but it was just one of them games, and we have Paddy McLean to thank for saving the points at the end. Um, it would have been robbery, I think, if they had a snatch the point at the end, but that is football. But we came away with three points, and of course, the week before, we had Linfield away. It was an emphatic victory, um, as, as easy a big two victory as I remember. Uh, we did, of course, beat them 3-0 at the Oval on um, Boxing Day a few years ago, but that, that game was a lot more comfortable um, a few weeks ago. Even with the 11 men on the pitch, I thought we were well on top um, and we would have went on to win. So it was good to get one over on the old enemy, but uh, as I say, very early in the season. So this week on the podcast, we have Glenthorne women's midfielder and Northern Ireland international Cara Hamilton. And this is a really, really good episode. Um, Cara is just an interesting individual, even if this wasn't me bringing on a Glenthorne player. This was just a standard podcast where I just interview people from the world of sport. Cara has had such an interesting career to date and such an interesting life to date. Um, she's been extremely unlucky with injuries. She had to sit out a massive four years um, through injury whenever um, she was in her formative years, 16 to 20, I think it was. Um, she had a spell in Iceland and then she discovered that she was uh, she was capable of performing to an elite level at a different sport in CrossFit. We've seen her take some time away. Um, but it's great to talk to Cara, who is now also a BBC pundit, and I absolutely love that part of the conversation. Um, I love talking about big production and that sort of thing, and just seeing a wee bit of behind the scenes. So it's a really, really good, fun um, podcast. I really enjoyed this, one of my favourite ones of the season. So here it is. It's this week's episode of the Shout at the Over podcast with Cara. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Shout at the Oval podcast. It is great to be back behind the mic for another podcast after another home game. Of course, at the time of recording, I have absolutely no idea what way the result in that big game against Lorne went. Did we manage to secure the three points and the go top of the table with the game in hand? Or did we manage to drop points, either draw or lose, which would give us a bit of ground to catch up, but we do have that game in hand. And it's very early in the season, so either way, Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Shout at the Oval podcast. I am absolutely delighted to have with me uh, Glenthorne women's player Cara Hamilton. Uh, Cara, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for coming on in what is such a busy week for the women's team. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of getting to that crucial period um, where the 
games are coming thick and fast, but love it. Like, what more do you want to be kind of competing for trophies um, going into cup finals and then um, exciting finish to the league, hopefully, as well? Well, I think first things first is to say congratulations on, we're recording this on Tuesday, just after the County Antrim Cup victory on Saturday. It was quite emphatic. It seemed comfortable enough. I'm sure you're you're delighted with that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's never comfortable, I don't think, in those games against Crusaders, totally. Um, certainly in the first half, it was it was cagey enough. Um, and luckily, we did have that goal cushion at, at half time, kind of to settle the nerves a little bit. But... Um, having played them on the Wednesday night as well and it was only one nil at half time and it was it was a close encounter. So we knew kinda of coming out into the second half if we could get a goal early that would um that would settle us and probably kind of kill a little bit of their momentum and, and we managed to do that thankfully um early on in the second half and then just put the game to bed with that um third goal to to seal the day. Well, I'll take it through the podcast. We do, we're going to touch on that on the new season a bit later on. Um, we're going to go through your career from the very, very start of playing football right through to the current day. Um, you're still quite young. You're only 26. So, um, but you've, you've had such a, there's um, so many, like I was writing down all the questions and I'm like, wow, you've had such a, a, a varying career with so many, so many bumps in the road as well. So we'll, um, we'll go through it. But I suppose we'll start way back. Um when you were young football for girls was probably some way behind what it is now we were talking off air there um about how you were at a football tournament today with 150 girls at it and how that's unheard of when you were growing up and it's probably when you were growing up it's probably a bit more progressive than it was when say kelly kelly bailey was growing up um but what are your early memories of, of playing football so early memories for me just started in the back garden just with my dad and i have a younger brother who's two and a half years younger than me um, dad's a massive football fan um, Glens Warren supporter Glens Warren through and through grew up in, in East Belfast um, but we I grew up out in the sticks in Dramara um, so the closest uh, club for me was Dramara Village Football Club um, so a real tiny um, kind of tight-knit community club and um, they just ran kind of mini soccer uh, tournaments that they call them um, throughout the summer and that was my first kind of exposure to football going there um, whenever I was probably five or six years old and just continued to go back to them. Their um, youth leagues started at under nines. So uh, sort of whenever I was getting to that age then, I'd been playing all down through the years and the coaches had got to know me and I'd been playing with the same group of boys for a while. But it came to the point then where we were old enough to enter into the league and um, the manager was like, We've never been in this situation with a girl before, but like, and I don't know how it works, but I want to put you on the team. I don't know whether I'm allowed to or not, but um, you're one of our best players. So I'm just going to go for it and, <laughs> and we'll see, we'll see what happens. So we were then, yeah, we entered into the, the Lisburn League and um, I was the only girl in the league um, at the time across all of the teams. And um, yeah, I continued to play for Dramara from under nines through to under 14s then and then the rules were that at a certain age you had to you had to stop playing with boys and you had to go and find a girls team so I played with them for around five years and then you decided then so is that when you left them did you decide then to join Glentorn and is it because of that family connection with your dad yeah kind of so it was a little bit of a I'm unsure. It was a bit of a difficult transition from from boys um into the the girls game because so I was I would have been 
13 going on 14 um, and I don't think my dad was too keen on the idea of me going in straight into senior football um, so he was aware of Glenn Torin and, and Cheryl Lamont I think um, had, had spoken to him about me about bringing me to, to Glenn Torin but um, yeah like I said he wasn't too keen on me going straight into senior football so we tried to find like a bit of a stepping stone like could I maybe play for like an academy team but really the structures just weren't in place for girls at that time and um, there weren't really enough strong teams to really put together a competitive league at kind of under 15 16s through to 18s um, so I played a little bit for a period um, actually at Lisburn ladies because uh, they kind of had a, a decent enough setup there, a good group of girls kind of my age. So I was there for a few months, but then I just think I started to get slightly um, frustrated and, and wanted to kind of push on a little bit and wanted to challenge myself. So um, then we spoke to, to Cheryl again and she was very good in the sense that she was like, I totally understand that and I understand your concerns about going to play with women and the physicality and all that kind of thing. And she said, look, let her come and train with us and then we'll kind of break her in gently into the team um much to my frustration is because I just thought I want to get straight in there um but so she kind of brought me through then into the the Glen Torren senior team but yeah I think I don't think I would have gone anywhere else other than Glen Torren probably because my dad wouldn't have seen me pull on any other shirt probably <laughs> um, what age were you when you then sort of made it into the Glen Torren women's team so it was 14 um, whenever I first came into the team. So that would have been 2011. You were 14 the senior team? Yeah. Wow, that's very young. Yeah, um, it was just kind of the the nature of the beast at that time. Um, there wasn't really, like I said, enough good structures in place to kind of make that transition through. Not the way it is now with, you know, really decent youth leagues um, across a number of um, teams, you know, it's not just Glen Torren that have a good academy. There's there's plenty of teams across the country who are doing that really well. But yeah, that just wasn't the the case for me, unfortunately. Well, playing with uh, boys in the Lisburn League and then wanting to make that step up to senior football at a young age obviously boded quite well for you because you made history as the youngest ever player to represent Northern Ireland at senior level for that's both men and women's. You were 15 and 121 days. Now, did that achievement resonate with you at the time or is it now you look back and go 15? Like that's that's young. Absolutely not. Like like you said at the time, it did not resonate with me. I just thought that was totally normal, um, and it it didn't phase me. And I think it was maybe just the fact that I had got that slight exposure to playing with um older older women at the age of fourteen at Glentor, and then that just seemed like the norm for me. Um, there was a couple of girls also in and around my age, like Simone McGill was only 15, 16 at the time, whenever she was in the senior squad. Um, Kirsty McGuinness was in there as well. So there was a, a bit of youth. But now, whenever I look at 15-year-olds playing, I just think there's, that's just crazy. Like there's no way that we could bring them into the, into the senior team. But it just shows you again the progression that the game has had. Um, that that just sort of would be quite unheard of nowadays. You you sort of you got your ground in quite young. You broke into the first team. You 
got in the Northern Ireland setup, and despite having a great career at now 26, you have had, as I mentioned before, a bit of a rotten luck along the way too with injuries. Um, you picked up a, a foot injury on international duty, and that became problematic. Now, talk me through that. Yeah, so that one's a, a bit of a long story. I'll try to um, keep it brief. But basically, I was away with the uh, under-19s. Um, actually, this week, 10 years ago, um, 10 years to the day, actually, we qualified um, oh. for the elite rounds uh, for the first time. Uh, so out of the, the under-19s mini group. But yeah, so we were away in Hungary. And I've been struggling with a bit of a niggle in my foot and really had just been trying to rest and then play and, and just try and manage it that way but things just really got out of control at the end of that um tournament I came home couldn't walk and I, I went to get it properly looked at and turns out I had um a stress fracture so that was probably down to the fact that I was playing too much not getting enough rest I was playing for under 17s 19s and seniors all at the one time whilst trying to play for a club as well um so it all just kind of took its toll so they, they told me that these these sorts of injuries just heal naturally with rest um that's the remedy for it so took the rest and tried to offload it and they told me eight to 12 weeks um you should be uh fine again but 12 weeks turned into 12 months and there was still there was small signs of healing but not fully complete healing so I went for a second opinion and I was actually told that I should have had surgery right from the get-go um, so then we got the surgery done so that was a whole rehabilitation period then after that but still loads of complications and um, was trying to get back to training and just was having too much pain and issue so I had to have a second surgery and then again, go through another rehab period, which wasn't um, which wasn't all smooth sailing either. So all in all, um, across a period of four years, um, I didn't kick a ball from the age of sixteen until I was almost twenty. And how do you cope with that? That's such a long time. Like, were you blaming the health professionals, which give the bad advice initially, and were you just so angry at the time? Yeah, I was really frustrated that I just couldn't seem to get any clear answers um initially whenever there was obviously that that frustration that okay I, I wasted a year here um waiting for this to heal but I understand that with the age that I was they weren't too keen on doing surgery on someone so young so you know I, I get I get that looking back now but at the time I was extremely frustrated but it just seemed like everything I tried um, it would push me back every time I made progress in my rehab I would come across something else would stumble um, and there were just times where I just questioned is this worth it is it worth trying to fight it, maybe this just isn't for me and I'm maybe not this is this is maybe not the path for me Um, I'm not meant to play football and I might just have to look at trying to do something else Um, but Every time I kind of got those thoughts, I just was like, right, try one more time, give it one more go, um, and don't let this beat you, basically. Um, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna allow something like this to stop me. I wanna, <laughs> I wanna stop playing on my own terms rather than allowing something to, something else to take me out of the game. Could you do anything in that time? Any sort of sport or exercise, or I mean, I suppose you could do upper body, but that's about it, was it? <laughs> Yeah, and my entire life was sport at that age, like at 16, um, not just football, like I, I 
pretty much did everything uh tried to compete in like athletics and swimming in um netball and hockey like everything at school i i was trying to be involved in it all and um so it was such a struggle for me then to not be able to not only just do sport like at a recreational level but competitively like I, I'm just like the most competitive person you'll ever meet and everything <laughs> so uh yeah it was just it was so so hard and and I just didn't know life without sport and really struggled with like what is a purpose like what is my identity without sport all those sorts of things and um the most that I could really do was was anything that was like non-weight bearing so I tried to like get activities through swimming or cycling or whatever but it was just it was so boring and it wasn't um it wasn't really fulfilling me the way all those other things did you did return to football and you made a return um to, to Glen Torn where you spent a year at the club again playing which must have been a massive relief uh, but then the move comes to where you go to uh, Reykjavik in, mm-hmm. in Iceland um, I mean, how does that move come about from going not playing football for four years, playing a year for Glentorn, and all of a sudden you're up in the sticks moving to Iceland? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Kind of bizarre twist of events that I never um, could have foreseen. But I was, um, so I was at university at the time that so I'd, I'd chosen to stay at, um, at Queen's. My kind of dream had always been like that I would go to either America or England, sort of sitting there as a 16 year old that looked like you know the the route to take if I wanted to take football seriously and play but with not playing at the time whenever I was making my university choices I opted to stay um at home and study at Queen's so then I was um just I think I was actually at the gym one day and and my phone rang and it was this club from from Iceland and I was like how on earth have you come across me and why have you reached out to me and they said actually that it was so it was Ashley Hutton that they'd reached out to who had played there previously and they said, look, would you know any players who would be um, looking for a move to, to come across here? Because the, the team were actually fighting relegation at the time and needed to bring in some players to bolster their squad. And so Ashley gave them my number and said, yeah, look, Tara might be interested in coming across. So um, it was good the way that the season worked. Their season would be similar similar to ours in, in that it's a summer season. So I was able to finish up at university and um, do my exams and then I was off then kind of for the summer until the new year of university started in October so spent spent the season out there with Phil Keir. And it's a I was doing a bit of googling and it's like a multi-sports club what does that look like you know it's, it's obviously not just football it's got loads of different um, sports clubs around it are they all ingrained or? Yeah, so kind of the way the way it is in, in Iceland, it's it's a really good model in that like well the kids kids are so involved in so many sports, you know, the they really encourage them to not just be like one dimensional and really kinda of, um branch out and everything's very particularly within that club, it's very much community focused. Um and also something that they do really well is the rule is that you're not allowed to set up um a, a, a boys sports team without having a girls like you can't just establish a sports club and it be girls only or sorry boys only so you have to have that that girl side of it as well so the structures are really really inclusive within Iceland um and I think that's why all of the kids are just super athletic like they're just a really like 
not just the kids but the adults as well it's just a really sort of active country where everyone is kind of out and about that's that's their lives is just to be outdoors what about living in Reykjavik it looks a pretty amazing place I've never been but I heard it is pretty class it is it's so unique like it's it's nothing like anywhere else in in the world I'd been to Iceland and um, whenever we played Iceland in, in 2012 when I was whenever I was just breaking into the senior team but hadn't really properly got an opportunity to see it so in the time that I spent out there um was fortunate enough to have uh, a car so got to drive around not just Reykjavik but you know kind of across the whole country it's such a vast um country and some incredible places like the the glaciers and the hot springs and uh, all of the waterfalls just amazing um and it's somewhere that i couldn't recommend enough to go to although you really need to um have saved up because it is super expensive as people know and what about the the daylight situation is it not a place where it's like just light all the time yeah so in the summer there's probably about three four hours of darkness and um, so you're coming out out of um out of town like if you're at a bar or something and you come out in the morning and it's like two o'clock in the morning but it would feel like three o'clock in the afternoon it it was bizarre from football then you started to gain interest in another extremely intense uh completely different sport uh in the sense in crossfit yeah. now um Explain to the listeners, first of all, what CrossFit, because some people might be listening and don't know what CrossFit is. So explain what CrossFit is. So CrossFit is basically, it defines itself as the sport of fitness. Um, so it kind of encompasses all of the aspects of physical fitness, uh, be it uh, so uh, Olympic weightlifting, uh, gymnastics, metabolic conditioning so that can take any form of kind of swimming running biking and then all your sort of like body weight movements all done at like high intensity um and it's constantly varied so you'll not have any two workouts in a week that you know look the same um so it's just totally varied loads of different sort of movements and time domains you could be working really short periods of time long and basically just tests fitness um in in the best way possible i've watched some of the highlights in the crossfit games it looks absolutely mental um how do do you get into it because you can't really just walk into a gym and start cleaning press and heavy weights people will be (laughs) looking at you (laughs) no and it, it was something that i had never ever heard of it until i um set foot into a crossfit gym but i didn't even know that i was going into a crossfit gym at the time so Actually, whenever I was coming to the end stage of my rehab for that foot injury, um, I was going to a strength and conditioning coach one-to-one, but he was also a coach within the CrossFit gym. So he was doing my one-to-one sessions after he would take the morning classes in the CrossFit gym. Um, so I never saw any of the classes going on, so still didn't know what it was. Um, but at the end of one of my one-to-one sessions one day after the he'd gone through my rehab for the day and um, he was like I, I want to try and put you through this workout and um, just to kind of give you a little bit of a test and I didn't know that it was a crossfit workout so it was like burpees over a bar and like assault bike if you've ever seen one of those assault bikes they're lethal them. yeah so that was my first exposure <laughs> to crossfit 
and uh, I finished the workout, lay on the floor for like 10 minutes. I think all in all, the workout was maybe only like three minutes long. And I lay there for like 10, 15 minutes. And uh, he was like, mm, yeah, I think you'd be like quite good at this. So uh, he said, do you want to you come along to a class and see what it's like? And I was like, yeah, I might give it a go. So started um, within the classes couple of times a week just like supplementing um football training with crossfit but then just got so hooked on it and just went from like zero to a hundred really quick and uh yeah like I said I was I was kind of addicted and then in the time that I spent in Iceland crossfit is massive over there so I was um doing crossfit alongside playing football while I was out there too and just got so hooked on it and in between all that then you come home from Iceland um, and you returned to Glenthorne at the at the business end of the season, so to speak. It was um, the I suppose the highlight of that season was that emphatic uh, Irish Cup final, 2018 Irish Cup final, yeah. one nil down, five minutes remaining, and up steps Michaela Mahal. Uh, was probably the unlikeliest of heroes to be honest to be scoring two goals in in the Dan Embers of the game. Talk me yeah. through that one. Yeah, unexpected maybe one we would expect from Michaela but not two and absolute carbon copies of each other for it to happen twice in the same game just un- unforgettable Um, I know it was we were probably underdogs going into that game like Limfield were flying high had won the league um, and had won the league I think in successive seasons for like the last maybe through two three maybe four seasons so um yeah, I think that's what I think it was the manner of the victory that was just so incredible. The fact that we were one 0 down, we were the underdogs, um, going into the game probably, and then to for her to win it in that way was just amazing. Um, so great, great end of that season. And that women's game started really getting some serious coverage around then, with the likes of streaming games and um social media channels tuning in on it and stuff. So that that was that itself, along with that game, was just a massive advertisement. Yeah, I, I remember that kind of being really pivotal. Like, the, I think it was maybe the it was the first time certainly I'd played an Irish Cup final at the national stadium as well. I think it was maybe the first time I'd played at Windsor, um, like since it had been redone. Yeah. Uh, and I I just remember that one. Even even the crowd that we got, like there was probably only a couple of hundred people at that game, but the noise of them, it it felt like there was thousands of people. And um, because of the way they were all kind of packed in tightly together and the the Glens fans and to be fair, the Limfield fans were great that night as well. But there was just a real just a real atmosphere and, and that rivalry between Glenthorne and Limfield just felt it felt like kind of the perfect storm in a way um, with the way that, that that game went. It was brilliant. Well, you must have been on a massive high after that, after the Irish Cup in dramatic fashion. But then you decide to step away from football and just to focus on on CrossFit. And how difficult was of decision was that to make? And was it just because you had this new passion that you knew that you want something had to had to go? Yeah, I think, like I said earlier, I'm naturally a very very competitive person. So, and I don't do things in half measures. So. With the way the CrossFit was going, sort of quite a few people had said to me, like, you're you're quite talented at this and you might want to consider just trying to crown it at the competitive level and maybe see how far you get. And I knew that um, in order to do that, you kind of had to be all in. Like I'd tried in that sort of 
year from whenever I got back to playing um, after my injury then through going to Iceland and stuff I was trying to balance the two and I knew that I was just going to burn myself out and I'd kind of already got to that point where I was a little bit burnt out trying to do the, the two together because they were both so demanding uh, so I thought look I'm just going to give my give myself a, a bit of time here with CrossFit see how it goes see how far I go and I know that the door is kind of always open with football and I knew that I would never really lose the love for it um, and actually felt like I maybe needed to miss it a little bit because I had been playing for so long um, at a competitive level and maybe I did just need to kind of relearn what it meant to, to love football again so that was kind of part of the reason for for stepping away and I just wanted a fresh challenge just maybe just to kind of I suppose scratch the itch a little bit and just maybe rule something out just to make sure that I wasn't missing out on something I maybe, maybe had huge potential in. You'd obviously as you say had huge potential in this and you discovered this new skill set and you were about to embark on some entering some high level competitions in this and then the world just decided that this wasn't going to happen and COVID had other ideas and given the problem that you had before with your injury in football, you must have just been thinking, I can't catch a break. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like nobody's nobody's career is ever a linear progression um, and it never comes with without challenges and, and bumps in the road. But yeah, I did sometimes just go, flip sake, not again, like, why me? But you can't have that attitude of like, feeling sorry for yourself you've just got to adapt and got to move and this is the way life goes obviously it was this, this extremely surreal kind of circumstance being caught up in in COVID and stuff but yeah so I'd, I'd really started to build up some momentum and I'd, I'd qualified and I was due to go to some pretty high level competitions that year I think we were I was due to go to China um to compete uh, and I was also supposed to go to uh cyprus uh for some high level competitions but like you said the world just just shut down and then i was kind of left thinking right okay what's next which i suppose everybody was we just were like how long is this gonna last for are these competitions maybe gonna still happen is there a chance and you were kind of you were training but with no real like end goal and you didn't really know when um you were going to be allowed to compete again so it was so hard to just like for everybody continue to stay motivated and know whenever this was gonna end and you didn't know what you were training for and when to peak and when to maybe like take a little bit of a rest so like for everybody who was trying to train for everything in that period it was just so difficult you then made a return despite your break it was sort of cut short you made a return to glen thorn um how did you come to the decision to to make that return back to the glens um well it was Gail Redmond um who's been a, co- a coach at Glenswaran for a long time um and has been a close friend of mine and really good mentor to me and she rang me in 20 this has been 2020 yeah August 2020 um she called me and just said look like what is the season what is the crossfit season look like at the minute um or is there anything going to be coming up and I said look with the way international travel is I can't see anything happening and she was like okay so what are your thoughts on maybe just playing the the 2020 season with the Glens because it's going to be 
reduced down um, with it being COVID restricted. Um, we're only going to have, we're only going to play each other twice and it's going to be super short and then you can just go back to doing what you're doing and hopefully by that time CrossFit will be up and running again. So I just thought, yeah, do you know what? Um, it seems like a good time to just come back, be able to do it and then I can I can refocus on CrossFit. But as we know, that, that never really happened because once you get back into that Glen Warren shirt and you start winning trophies and stuff again, um, it's hard to then turn, turn away from it. <laughs> It didn't actually take you that long being back in the Glenthorne team before you were in the international squad again. Um, but I mean, this was a very different international squad than maybe what you were used to. This was in the sense that there might have been some of the same faces, but they were on the cusp of making history. And the Kenny Shields was there. Mm-hmm. Um, what did it look like to you? Did it look very different? It did, and it wasn't something that I was looking for um, at the time. I, I didn't think that... I didn't think I was ready to come back into the international setup just from like a, a physical and a technical standpoint because um, I'd been out of it for so long. And with the success that they'd kind of been enjoying, I sort of thought, do you know what, there really isn't a place for me um, right now in the, the NI squad. And I was happy enough with that. Um, I was happy to just come back and play for Glen Torren and just start to, like I said, fall in love with football and enjoy it as well. Uh, and didn't feel like the Northern Ireland team would 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 need me back because of the way the things were going. Um, but he he came to see uh, we were playing Limfield at the Oval. Uh, I think I scored that night and um, had uh, I think I had quite a good game. So he he called and just said, "Look, um, what about? There's no pressure. Um, I just want you to maybe come down to the training, just get a feel for the new environment, see what you think about it, and you know we'll we'll go from there." Um, so I took him up on that, and then I ended up in the squad to to go away to the Faroe Islands. Well, it was you're back playing football. You're back in the Glentorn team. You're back in the international team. The title charge is on, but then unfortunately you suffer another injury and this time it's a knee injury how do you deal with that are you it's because of your experience before you're like look it's not going to be as bad or how did you cope I think the experiences of the past certainly did help um I knew how to cope with it um I was like look I've been out for four years before so what's a year um with with an ACL but at the same time I knew I'd, I'd heard sort of bad stories about people's recoveries from from ACLs and I know how serious an injury that was and to be honest it was always the one injury that I just really really dreaded um because I'd seen so many people go through it and I knew how difficult the rehab was and and I did have the fear um in me of, of how how bad it might be um so whenever I found out that's what it was um I didn't know straight away that that's definitely the injury had sustained but I knew it was it was serious and I knew it was nothing that like I'd ever felt before um so as soon as it happened that night I was like oh okay this is bad here um and yeah it just seemed like as things had started to improve and I'd really started to hit my stride again and things were going well again you just get those setbacks um and like there's no perfect time to be injured anyone will tell you that like um, but I think in a way I sort of tried to look at it positively in that, okay, if, if I do really want to take um, 
or haven't have a good go with this it means i can still make the euros and um, because they've been pushed back a year with covid uh, i thought okay i'll miss the the qualifying um to get us there but if we do qualify at least i can i can have a, a run of trying to make the squad for the finals there was maybe the glens went on to win the league that year um obviously i just off you got your injury and as you mentioned it was a shortened season so there was maybe a few eyebrows raised about the legitimacy of the league, about how much the team deserved or whatever. But any doubters had their questions answered the following season. Um, it was a clean sweep of trophies. Uh, it was an amazing climax to the season. Um, there was a title chase on. It wasn't just easy. They didn't just sweep everyone away. Um, and then there was the Irish Cup final, which was live streamed. So it was quite a quite exciting to come back into that sort of um, environment. It was. I was itching to get back in in twenty twenty one, and it, it it was it was really hard. It was the first time I think where um, I I'd, I'd sort of stayed I'd stayed involved as much as possible with the team. Um, whenever I'd had that previous foot injury, because it went on for so long, I kind of just took a step back and I faded kind of into the background a little bit because. I didn't really know how long I was going to be out for. Um, I didn't have like an end goal of, yeah, this is what we're aiming for because nobody could give me answers. And every time I tried to get back to playing, I just couldn't. But with this, um, with this knee injury, it was the, the progression was kind of spelt out for you. You knew what targets you needed to hit month on month. So I knew roughly it was going to be maybe nine months and the 12 months that I would be back. So, because of that, then I, I tried to stay involved, tried to, you know, keep going to training. I would be there at as many matches as possible, but it you know, it made it harder um, ultimately to be on the sidelines and be there, but not really be there and really not be a part of it. Um, so it was it was tough for me and I was just kind of chomping at the bit to, to come back. And luckily I did get some game time towards the end of the season, it's got the cup finals. Um, which was the the main one for me, and yeah, I got to be involved at the very end of the season, even though all the the rest of the team had kind of done the work for me. <laughs> well, uh, we'll focus on. There's people are probably listening to this going, when he's tuning through a lot, but we're doing it chronological order of your career, so yeah. we will focus on international duty a minute. Um, because I did mention that it didn't take you long to break in the Northern Ireland team, and you made history doing that. But then the team made history by qualifying for the Euros. Now. I'm going to mention it again. You were injured uh, going into the Euros, but but <laughs> yeah. before but before we get to the injury, the in terms of the the qualification, that must have just been unbelievable because no one gave Northern Ireland the hope of qualifying for that tournament. No, and actually, probably least of all ourselves. Um, whenever we were starting off that campaign, we were coming off the back of probably one of our worst finishes. Um, whenever I'd stepped out of the team, um, my last game was at home, um, down at Portadown. I think we were playing Slovakia at home and uh, we just managed to um, not finish bottom of the group by a goal difference. And uh, it was an atrocious campaign, and heads were definitely down. And um, kind of motivation was was pretty low, and morale was pretty low within the group. So then to go from that point to then qualification, uh, just seemed impossible. And uh, yeah, we always talked about from from I was in the senior setup. We always talked about 
you know, could we qualify for a major tournament? And we always said it, but I don't know that we ever fully believed it, that it would happen. And it just seemed like it was getting further and further away and other nations were just getting stronger. And it seemed as though we were moving backwards. Um, but all of a sudden, this, the script kind of flipped and game by game, we just gathered more and more momentum. I mean, it didn't start off the best, as people will know. Norway hammered us 6-0 and it just looked like same story again. Um, we'd always we'd always been underdogs and we'd always shown that we could, if we got everything right, we could compete with the top nations, but we could never do it consistently. And I think the reason we could never do it on a consistent basis was the fact that we couldn't put a consistent squad together. Um, because most of our squad were, were amateur players, you were always fighting against people's work schedules or schools and universities, and, and we couldn't always get the, the same team. And I think something that really helped us was the fact that the IFA gave us um, the support that we asked them for, um, and it meant that it was financially possible for girls to you know take time out of their work schedules and, and we were able to all train consistently and, and be together and then gel and that's what ultimately then brought us through to the finals and what an unbelievable impact it's had on women's football in Northern Ireland because you now sell out as an international team Seaview and Inver Park and the North Stand at Windsor Park and it's just the profile is so much higher higher than it's ever been before and it must you must be amazing to be part of that because that is literally making history. It is I know and it, those of us who have been in it from you know from myself I've been there for kind of ten years and you know there's plenty of others who. Are, close to 20, 20 years in it. And um, I don't think, I don't think we ever would have dreamt of, you know, selling out the, the national stadium. Um, it really is crazy from when we last played at Windsor Park, whenever it was the old Windsor against Belgium. And there was literally, I would say 50 people there that night to then walk out at a new Windsor Park in front of um, stands full. It's, it's just mind blowing um and yeah it's just all about what we do going forward now because now that we've got to this point we can't ever go back from this you know this has to be the norm and this has to has to continue in terms of missing out in the euros how much of a blow was that to you at the time yeah i think that one hit the hit the hardest definitely out of out of all the injuries um because i think i'd 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 sustained that knee injury, but I thought, okay, I'm going to miss qualification. But if they qualify, then that's great because I'm going to be able to make it back and then nothing can stop me. Nothing's going to get in the way of me <laughs> um, getting to the Euros. You know, I'm going to work so hard to try and be in that squad. And whenever the initially, whenever the injury happened, I really thought, it wasn't anything to be concerned about. And I think that was the most frustrating thing was like, again, it seemed like a repeat of um, the foot injury when we thought it was pretty innocuous and it was going to heal in time for me to be back. And then whenever we really looked into it and got the, the MRI scan and actually had to have a, a specialist look at it because it was such a bizarre injury that actually none of the physios had come across before. So we really didn't know what the time scale was on it. Um, so I went to see a specialist in London and then he kind of broke the news to me um, that you've got to take you've got to take your time with this one. And 
unfortunately it's going to be a pretty lengthy period on the sidelines of maybe three to four months which then I knew there was there was no chance of making it but when one door closes another one opens because being injured didn't mean that you missed out in the Euros altogether uh, you went to the Euros as a pundit or summariser some might say and I have to say you done a brilliant job <laughs> and not only that You've now been invited back to BBC in Northern Ireland and you've done the the, the punditry and the summarising on, on the Northern Ireland Men's League. And mm-hmm. that how did that come about? And it must have been an amazing experience. Yeah, so again, I think it was probably just the week that I found out that I, I wasn't going to make it. And I, I let um, a couple of people know. And one of the people that I told was was Gail Redmond again, um, club coach just said look and I, I told her from a Glen Torren perspective like I'm not going to feature until after the Euros unfortunately um, and she was devastated for me but she gave me a call about a week later and she said look BBC have been in touch with me and um, because she's worked with them quite a number of times as as you'll know and um, doing commentary and she said they're looking for someone from Northern Ireland to do punditry for the Euros on their BBC coverage, would you be up for it? She said, "I, um, I don't, I don't want to do it." <laughs> she, she said, "I think you've been much better suited, um, to this. You know the squad really well. You've you've been with them for a long time, and you'll be the best one to, to talk from a Northern Ireland perspective because you've been in the setup and been in the full time program, and you know what the environment is like." So, um, immediately kind of jumped at the chance and just said yes to it because I knew I just needed something to take my mind off the fact that I wasn't going to be playing um, and I needed another focus and another outlet because I knew that going and watching as a fan would have been so so hard but I said yes but not really knowing um, really what I was getting myself in for in terms of punditry. I think I said yes and then thought about it later and then was like, oh my goodness, this is massive. Like, this is a really big deal and there's going to be millions of people watching this. <laughs> Did you get much training? I got one session of about an hour um, with one of the the guys that is a, a trainer for, for BBC and he just showed me um kind of some footage some do's and don'ts and was like yeah just make sure you smile and um <laughs> make sure you look in the right direction and that was that was really about the height of the training <laughs> I, I have to say you, you avoided all the cliches which is the like the <laughs> hardest thing to do like I've done commentary for Glentorn TV a couple of times and you just try to avoid all the cliches possible. Yeah. And whenever I feel a cliche coming on, I pass over the co-commentary <laughs> and I'm sure, like, sure you avoided them. And that's the number one thing, you know? Yeah, he, he said that. He was like, I think, I can't remember the example that he used. I think he said something like, just just don't be, don't be airy-fairy about it. Don't say, oh, I think the keeper will be a little bit disappointed with that one just like call it the way it is call it out like don't try and be too nice and um, like, I'm not saying to be Roy Keane but you know don't sit <laughs> on the fence and <laughs> and uh yeah just be just be be brutal if you need to be but uh yeah the, the, that was that was his advice to me and were you looking over at one stage even at the company you're in and being like wow like this is this is I can't believe I'm doing this yeah, I think I had to try and block that out as much as possible. I think that experience of, you know, anytime you play in 
big games and big stadiums, you're always told like don't play the occasion. Um, like whenever we went to the Wembley and stuff like that, it was like it's just another game, it's just another game, and that's what I had to you know sort of say to myself is like it's it's just a game of football. Like talk about it the way you would talk with your dad and your brother because I mean obviously everybody's a pundit at home right so you're sitting on the sofa and you're calling things and saying this and that and I was like just just treat it like that and it's not Ian Wright standing beside you and it's not Gabby Logan and you're just you're just talking about football the same way that you would and I think that would be my advice to, to anybody and anybody that's like oh I don't know how you do that it's like well everybody does it <laughs> the only difference is, is that you have a camera in front of your face <laughs> <laughs> and it's sure you've got like one foot in the door now um you know would the media thing interest you in the future maybe even when you hang your boots up would you like to go in down that road because i mean i'm not just saying it because you're honest you're, you're very very good at it and um, it came to you, it came to you naturally so would you, is it something you'd fancy definitely um coaching coaching has never massively appealed to me um, I don't mind doing it like the odd time um, and maybe at like a, a kids kind of level. I enjoy coaching kids. But in terms of like elite level coaching, sort of at the real sort of serious business end, it's never really appealed to me massively. Uh, so I think in order to try and, you know, because I always want to be involved in football for as long as possible outside of playing. Um, so to stay involved with the game, I think that's probably more the route that I would see myself taking rather than coaching. Amazing. Oh, I really enjoyed that part of the conversation because I'm I'm fascinated by the that side of things and I love getting involved in the media myself and just yeah, just great that like something so it's like you must have been absolutely devastated and then the next thing this this door opens and just a whole new world. Crazy. Totally. I know. I know. You couldn't you couldn't write it and uh, you know I do feel very privilege to have had that opportunity and it did just come at the right time and you know there was other girls who missed out on the Euros through injury or through not being selected who didn't have that opportunity so I do really count my blessings and I'm, I'm so thankful that I did have an opportunity like that um, because I, I could well have just been sitting um, in the stands watching. In terms of then back to the current season um, so it's been a close one um, there's one trophy in the bag after the win against Crusaders at the weekend. Um, there's another two on the line. Uh, the league title is unfortunately out of Glenthorne's hands. It sort of depends on what happens tomorrow night. Well, the time everyone's listening to this, they'll know. But yeah. <laughs> we're having the conversation. Um, is it frustrating that it's out of your hands that, that you've relying on someone else? Massively. Uh, you know, we knew after the Euros break. Um, we sat down as a team and we said look we win all our games from now till the end of the season and the title's ours simple as that and it's simple to say but um, harder to execute but we fully believe that that we could um, because we've done it before um, and we really felt like after we when we when we went to Champions League um, we felt we had a really good um, kind of team bonding I suppose and we really regrouped in that because the season had been disjointed, you know, prior to the Euros, there'd been a lot of disruptions and things like that. So we felt like when we got in Champions League, really regrouped, started getting a little bit of a rhythm back. <clears throat> and so coming into the league, then I think there was a real positive feeling amongst the group that, yeah, we could, we could really do this. Um, but the ultimately, yeah, we, we knew any slip ups were going to cost us. And there was that draw against Crusaders 
um, and a game which we felt we probably should have won, albeit by very narrow margins. Um, you know, if that, that penalty kind of had it gone in, it's all ifs and buts and maybes, but I think we had enough chances over the course of that game to win it. Uh, but we just didn't, we just weren't clinical enough and we only have our, ourselves to blame for that. And losing Lauren Wade must have been a massive blow. It was, yeah. Um, we didn't we didn't see it coming, and she'd say herself, you know, she didn't see it coming, and uh, she she'd kind of planned to, to to be at home. You know, Lauren's played in loads of different places over the last number of years, and I think she'd find herself quite settled at home. But when an opportunity like that comes knocking to play in the WSL, you're not going to turn it down. And look, we're all so happy for her and for for Jackie Burns as well. Uh, that they got the recognition that I think they deserved off the back of the Euros and you know fair play to them and um, yeah whenever they are ready to come home we'll welcome them with, with open arms <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that was great it was great, back. great move for both of them and I had Lauren on the podcast last year and she didn't sound like you know I asked her about the future and she was really happy just she was working in the family business and she mm-hmm. was um, enjoying her football at Glentorn so it was it came as I was I was I was delighted when I seen that it was coming or when it happened um there must be something I've had uh Kerry on she got the move and then Lauren yes. on she had the move so you never know you might be next <laughs> <laughs> you never know honestly like I'm I'm done trying to write the script of my life of what I think's happening next so never plan too far ahead because you know, through injuries or maybe good opportunities, you just don't know what's going to come your way. Like I was sitting in the gym one day and somebody rang me and asked me if I wanted to come to Iceland. So <laughs> it might happen again. In terms of Saturday's County Antrim Cup game, I know I touched on it briefly at the start. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen that the Glentorn Ultras had made their way down to support the team. That was a nice touch. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. They were fantastic from start to finish. Um, I'd actually been down at the Newry game and I'd raced up to the match. Um, so then they'd, they'd followed up uh, behind me then and, and came to the game as well, which was class. But yeah, they just sang the whole way through and uh, hopefully we'll see them again on, on the 5th at the next cup final. I'm sure we will. Yeah, they were on our bus. I was I got the Ballymac bus to the area and they were on my supporters bus and they were singing songs that they'd made for the Glentorn women's team. So yes. I'd, and I'd never heard that before, so fair play. <laughs> yeah, class. I know we were singing them in the in the changing rooms as well. Um, <laughs> the one about Julie Andrews is the best on earth and, uh, <laughs> and Casey Howe got a few as well. <laughs> so if the team did miss out um, on the league title, you know, it's out of your hands to say... Uh, but managed to win the two other domestic cups. Uh, you'd have to see that as a positive season. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you have to always just take a step back and look at, you know, how how you you define success in a season, and it it doesn't always look like trophies. Um, you know, there's a a lot of positives that we'll take. I think with the the group that we that we have it is a really tight-knit group um and we've bonded a lot this season and we've come through a lot and we've we've faced a lot of challenges that we haven't had to face in in other seasons and i think if you look at it from from that perspective you know there's a lot of growth there's a lot of maturity that's kind of come into the squad and there's been a lot of leadership shown in in different ways too and i think that's something that we can be um, very proud of and yeah ultimately the, the way that we've stuck together and we still have hopefully um, we'll, we'll have at least one trophy to show for it but possibly two 
you know, we're going to be delighted with that. Ultimately, we've set very high standards for ourselves over the last two seasons and having won um, two trebles. And that can only that can only go on for so long, I think. And whenever you do perform at that that high level, sometimes you realize that there is going to be a little bit of a drop off and it's it's hard to always keep chasing that mentality um and keep having that that strong mentality of, of being a winner you know it's it isn't always that easy and I think people maybe think that oh you know it's easy for Glentor and they just dominate but it's hard to stay hungry you know it's easy whenever you're a chaser to be hungry for that success but whenever you're the ones that hold everything it, it is sometimes hard and if if that slips for a little bit then the team that's hungrier sometimes will will come after you and and they'll want it maybe that little bit more on a on a personal level, um, it's been quite a productive season for you. Um, are you happy with how it's gone? And on in your own mind, are you fully focused now on football? Like the likes of CrossFit's in the back burner. Yeah, CrossFit's definitely on on the back burner. Um, I think, like I said, I maybe just needed a little bit of time away from football to truly realize how much um I loved it, and uh, I'm I'm definitely fully focused on that now. Uh, from a personal perspective I'm, I'm happy with how I've come back that I, I sort of managed to hit the ground running um with adding goals and stuff and contributing to the team but ultimately I've just been happiest with how um the team has come together after the break um from the Euros and that we have been on such a good run bar that little blip um at Crusaders with that draw I think we've been pretty we've been pretty bang on it um so for for me, I kind of wish that the season was only just starting, but it's kind of coming to an end now, and um, I would love it to be going on for another couple of months. But hey ho, um, just kind of make me hungrier for for next season. And you got to dip your toe into the world of full time football uh, earlier in the year with the the whole IFA international um full time setup. What what was that like as an experience? Does it make you hungry for more? It was a really unique experience, and I think anybody would say that it was it was so strange being full-time preparing for something that was six seven months away Um, you know being a full-time footballer but not playing matches week in week out the way you would with a club was really weird Um, and it was a a unique set of circumstances that we all kind of had to adapt to but we're looking you know, the, the league is looking to progress and, and Glens Warren particularly are, are very ambitious about moving um the, the game forward in Northern Ireland and, and trying to make it more professional um and try and professionalise clubs, introduce paying players. You know, it's something that we really want to start to do and to, to try and compete with, with other nations because we will start to, to fall behind. Um, so... I'm fully behind, you know, Glentor and if it happens for them or any other club who wants to make that step forward because it's only going to improve the league. There's going to be um, difficulties that come with that, absolutely no doubt. And not every club is going to be in a position to be able to do it right from the off. But I don't think we should hold back the clubs that maybe are able to do it. Um, and there there will be a bit of separation for a while. Um, and it'll mean that maybe some teams dominate for a, a little bit but I think ultimately long term and um, it's only going to move the, the game forward and it's only going to progress our national team as well. That leads me on nicely actually to um, the final point to have because um, anyone who follows me on Twitter will see that I've been 
quite vocal um, on this point that earlier in the year, uh, Glenn Horn announced that it would be the first team in Northern Ireland to have a professional women's team. A fantastic opportunity for women and girls in this country to make a career to football, to earn money, to inspire an entire generation of young female footballers to make a career out of football. And unfortunately, that was stopped in its tracks by Nipple, as they believed that it would create an unfair advantage. Uh, so they suspended it. And I think it's maybe suspended until next year. Yeah. Um, but I personally, I think it was a extremely disappointing. Um, it was just extremely disappointing uh, decision for them to make. But it's also a bit disgraceful. I think that they have stopped people from being able to earn money, um, through playing sport when there's a full men's game that they can. It was it disappointing for yourself and for the the rest of the team. It was like um, it was you know all of um us had kind of sat down in a room and and the the circumstances had, had been explained and look there was disappointment there but I understand people's maybe hesitation surrounding it and you know it has to be sustainable ultimately too you know it's not something that we want to just say that we want to do and it's a it's a flash in the pan and, and we can't you know do it continually so I understand that there are reservations about it and there's maybe hesitation in people's minds because we've seen it go wrong um in other places too you know it hasn't been smooth sailing even um in the english game and um in the championship you know teams have gone into administration you know girls have you know, lost their jobs whenever whenever they thought they were going to step into a professional environment so i understand that there are um that there are hesitations with it too but i think um ultimately you, we can't we can't shy away from the fact that other other nations and other leagues have done this well and are able to do it and it's something that we have to be open-minded about at least have the conversation on the table and um, let's talk about how we can do it how we can make, make it sustainable for for all clubs um but also be open to the fact that it's not going to be um it's not going to be something that all clubs can maybe do right away, um, and but that shouldn't stop the ones that are capable of doing it, in my opinion. I couldn't have put it better myself. And uh, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Cara, you have been a brilliant guest, one of my favourite ones this season. It's been great to talk to you because you've got such a varied background. Um, you, it's just hopefully someone rings me one day and asks me if I want to move to Iceland, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Not sure my wife be too keen. Um, <laughs> but th- th- thanks for coming on. Uh, the very, very best of luck for the rest of the season. Hopefully result goes your way tomorrow night. But if not, um, good luck for the Irish Cup final. And hopefully Glenthorne Ultras get a Cara Hamilton song on the go. Yeah, no, it shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thank you so much. Uh, just going to hit stop.